0: Hi, I'm Preeti, and welcome to Spot On. Today, I'm joined by entrepreneur and community builder, Bing Chen. Bing is the president and co-founder of Gold House and Om Group, both collectives dedicated to uniting the world's Asians and Pacific Islanders to enable more representation and equity in the creative industry. Previously, Bing was YouTube's global head of creator development and management, where he was one of the original and principal architects of the multi-billion dollar influencer ecosystem. We talked about his dream of becoming the next Walt Disney, how to be authentic and stick by it, and how best to nurture those who are creating something new. So here we go with Bing Chen. Thank you for joining us on this podcast today. A very warm welcome to you, Bing. Um, You know, I was so excited to speak with you because I have read so much about you. What a privilege it is for me to have you here and to get to know you a little bit better. And I wonder if before we get started, if you can introduce yourself to our listeners in your own words.
1: Yeah, I'm super simple. I'm just an impact entrepreneur who likes building new worlds. uh, And worlds I define as stories and systems that pronounce and extend life. Uh, The closest sort of real-world practical analogs are the Walt Disney Company, Oprah, and one could argue probably the church. Um, But yeah, that's me. Very simple.
0: I love that. I think that's such an interesting take and really, you know, watching you and speaking with you, you can tell there's such a playful tone to you. And, you know, you have this amazing ability to talk about some really serious topics, but not in a very overly serious way. And you keep it so humble and down to earth. I've got to think that there's got to be something in your background and upbringing that brings that out. Uh, Do you want to tell us about how you grew up and where I know you grew up in Tennessee and you've described yourself a third culture kid? but I just want to understand who Bing is and how does he get this playful spirit?
1: I mean, the playful side, I think it's probably <laughs> because my mother, she and my father tried for a decade to have children. My mother's dream despite being very successful financially was to be the best mother, which she absolutely was. And because of that, at the 10th 11th year when she finally had me, she just invested all of her time and joy and wonder in me. And so you just see like in our childlike videos, you know, she's just constantly smiling. We're constantly laughing. And so whether it was in my genetics to be obnoxious or not, I was just made to love and be wondrous about everything. And I think it's one of my greatest gifts is I I can see where everyone else has has looked, but see what most of them have not seen yet. So I think that's one place it came from. I think the second is absolutely being a third culture kid. So pre days you just mentioned, I was, you know, born and raised in Knoxville, Tennessee. There's like three families of color. And so I never saw myself honestly as like other or sort of a victim of racism. I actually saw myself as just special uh, just because I was somewhat different. Uh, Fast forward, when I was a teenager, we moved to Shanghai, China during sort of the second Renaissance when all these Western families were coming in to help nurture the country. And and that I often say gave me my eyes. And so being a third culture kid, as you know, is defined as, do you have two ostensibly disparate experiences during your formative years? And it forces you to adapt because you have to literally go to a new world. And so I think that, too, has just made me realize how wondrous and how large the world is. And then I think the third experience that really punctuated this wonder is um, when my father passed away when I was in eighth grade uh, of cancer, unfortunately, which is why we moved to the United States. And I think watching someone you love die, especially, you know, one half of your sort of developmental structure will make you realize that most things in life do not matter. And that most people are not actually imperative to you. And and I don't mean that most people, most things are not important generally. That's not what I mean at all. I just mean that you know we are as humans can only physically be proximate or emotionally be proximate to so many things. And the reality is that most of those things are not actually gonna stay with us. But death is the one thing that will. It is the one certainty that we all have at some point that we cannot reverse. And so that made me realize, oh my gosh, there's only so many things that really, really matter in this world. And so it actually not only took my wonder and 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 you know, it, it really like honed it, I'd say. It, it sort of laser targeted on even fewer things. To be very succinct, my favorite Einstein quote is, you can live your life as if everything is a miracle and as if nothing is. And I, there is a privilege and a luxury without question to seeing everything as a miracle. But I also think those of us who do are the ones who build new things. Like we are the ones who go to the moon and who cure cancer and who you know, reverse three millennia's worth of uh, a diaspora not supporting each other or being in the shadows. Like That's what it takes, you know? I, I remember this this Mr. Rogers video uh, that was going around a couple, a couple months ago. And he said that he hated the news when he was a child because it's just car mm-hmm. crashes and murders and all the things. And his mother said, you know, Fred, uh, God, it's weird to call Mr. Rogers Fred. Um, but she, <laughs> said, she, said, she said, young Mr. Rogers, you know, in these disasters, you have to look for the helpers. And, mm-hmm. and I remember my mother used Not to say this. Yeah. And my mother used to say the same, a similar thing where she'd be like, you know, Bing, there's a lot of bad things in life and a lot of bad, like good people who do bad things for what they think are good reasons. Um, but she said, you have to look for the fighters. And she said, it's very, very few. It's usually 10 to 20% of people at most. And it's not because people are bad, it's just because people are busy. Um, But when you find those 10 to 20%, that's the light. And those are the warriors that you need to fight alongside. And so I think about this in the same way of like, you know, wonder is our species' most important gift and weapon against things like death. and and because of that it's like we have to hone this even more.
0: It's fascinating to take that walk with you as you're talking because on the one hand you're talking, you know, about the the pain you felt with your father's death and how that makes you feel like there's very very few things that matter and on the other hand when i see, you know, you've dedicated your career so far to building large communities and really expanding your scope. Can you talk to me a little bit about how you made the journey as an adolescent who felt that to now being a career professional who's dedicating all his energy and time to really helping others.
1: Yeah, you're so astute to point out that dissonance. I I would say this, like like very few people and few things matter. And and I would go as far to say like each of our goals in life is to figure out why we are here, right? Like we all know like the meaning of life is like the elusive thing that we all need to figure out. But for me, my dream since I was a young kid was how can I give everyone the meaning of life faster and more deeply at the highest scale possible. And so when I was three years old, I told my parents I wanted to be president of the United States. I thought in my naivete, that was the broadest scale that one could help everyone's lives and to live longer. Uh, Lo and behold, when I was in third grade, I read every third grade level of presidential biography and came home crying one day and discovered all the good ones, uh, basically got assassinated. And so I shifted my priorities and then did Walt Disney. But I think to answer your question, like since then, I've been gung ho on being the next Walt Disney, where I want to create new worlds that may be rooted in mythos, but have real world application to help people both professionally and personally realize their ambitions. Now, where does this come from? It's it's one of those like inductive, deductive things. It's rational and irrational. So, you know, inductively, I just viscerally get very excited about helping people. And, and I know that sounds like it's one of those things where like, if you have to say it, you're not it. But but like, I don't know. I just really like it. And it gets me very excited and I'm very good at it. I'm exceptionally good Especially at
0: Especially creators.
1: Creators and of all kinds, right? And anyone who creates something new, whether it's in the creative industry, in business or otherwise, anyone who is inventing something, I am very good at helping. Um, and invariably everyone is inventing something new, you know, whether it's a company or a child or a film or whatever it is, right? But on the deductive side, I'm convinced this is our species greatest imperative. Once again, is why we are here before we die. And then after that, it's how do we, how do we ensure that that lives forever? Um, So, so yeah, I think again, like my, my passion has always been, how do you deliver the meaning of life to as many people as possible? Because I like it, but because I also think it's the most essential pursuit for our species.
0: That is amazing. Do you feel like you're living your life's dream and passion?
1: Yes, but I feel like I'm really behind. I feel like I'm, <laughs> I'm like, I mean, like all of us, I have Peter Pan syndrome because I've been indoctrinated by all the toxic thirty under thirty nonsense, uh, which at once has merit, but then also is like, very bad. Um, but but it is getting there, and I think. One of my gifts slash curses is I can justify anything, uh, which you can see very quickly how that could become problematic. Uh,
0: or you can call it storytelling. Or we
1: can call it storytelling. I know we we are the lies we tell ourselves, just as we are our memories, right? And so, um, but yeah, you know, I, I think I think am I am I on the road to the same North Star? Yes. Is it the road that I thought was going to be paved? Absolutely not. mm
0: mm-hmm. I wanna I wanna pivot and ask you a question. Uh, because the journey you've been on and the fact that, you know, when you talk about the pandemic and the lockdown that we've all sort of gone through in the last year, how have you kept up that level of energy and passion, which a lot of us are struggling with right now?
1: I, I would say like, I, I was doing great for maybe the first nine months, but in the last three, which I think is really when a lot of us were sit off, because we, for some reason, as humans thought 2021, a switching of the clock would change everything. Mm-hmm. But like, I kind of got crapped. worse
0: in many ways.
1: Yeah, 100%. And it got worse because, like, you know how this works. Like, the, we, we are so close to the end, but the end is actually not as close as we think. I have felt, as much as I can context switch, as much as I'm resilient. I have felt mentally burnt out. I find myself difficult talking to fellow human beings in the same way we did before. Um, but by the same token, like there are also great essentialisms that have been born of this, right? Like I think this has forced a lot of people to realize what is the Hackney term essential. Um, you know, mm-hmm. luckily, like you know, I, I feel like I have less of that issue. I've only usually prioritized what's important to me. But um, yeah, like you know, people now prioritize what really matters. People prioritize the people who really matter. Mm-hmm.
0: It's kind of off topic, but I also think that I've heard of a lot of people just finally following what they wanted to do in the longer uh, term anyways. They just shortened the time frame and doing it now. A lot of people are moving to other locations because, you know, they're saying, oh, I always wanted to do this. You know, it's the pandemic and I think we just sort of steamrolled our plans and going to do what we've always wanted to do, just doing it sooner than we thought. Not going to wait till retirement to do that. So it's also like... Fasten the, the timeline for a lot of people in, in that sense to bring us closer to joy.
1: <laughs> Your point, Preeti, is the most important one. I have to imagine like HR faces this every day. It's like my favorite mm-hmm. question we ask our, our potential employees or like leaders is if I give you a billion dollars, every ounce of courage and every network that would say yes in the world, what would you do now? And if what, mm-hmm. if what we are about to discuss is not that, you should not be interviewing here because we don't deserve you and you don't deserve us. You know? And it's like, it's exactly as you said. It's like, it is a privileged thing to say this. There's no question, because not all of us have the financial capacity or whatever have you to do this. But for those who can, and I think more, more especially in our echelon of like the mm-hmm. Spotify's and the tech companies of the world, most of us have the capacity to do what we want, if we really wanted to, then we should. Because then life, should. Unfor- yeah, because life is unfortunately far shorter than we think.
0: I agree. And I think so much of empowering others is also affording them the opportunity to self-express and be vulnerable. And I can see that that's a pretty big passion of yours because you seem so um, open and transparent and uh, willing to talk about difficult topics in, like I said, the most light possible, playful way, which I really admire. So my question would be how much of this has had an effect on your own career because you've made some big switches in your career going from the digital tech world to now entrepreneurship and nonprofit. How much has vulnerability and self-expression played into it?
1: I was always raised to, as we say, like, laugh loudly and often, to cry when I need to cry, you know, to be unafraid of those things. Um, because in the words of Dr. Seuss, those who matter don't mind, those who mind don't matter. And, and I, I think that's true. You know? I think the faster that you can realize who you are, the faster you can give that value to the world. You know? and, and am I going to apologize for every quirk that I have? As long as it doesn't hurt anyone, no because that's just who I am. You know, as long as what we're doing is the right thing, a good thing and good natured and thoughtful and inclusive, I don't think we have to apologize for being who we are. We shouldn't, you know? Um, And the freer that we're able to set each other, the faster, once again, we can all give our gifts and rise together. Being really vulnerable and open has been everything since day one. I mean, I'll give you a specific example. When I was at YouTube, uh, when I was 25, I just globalized the partner program. I renamed it to Creator, which is now popularized in the community uh, or the industry. Uh, My boss, like called me in his office and said Bing like I want you to know like you are now at an inflection point and I said yeah thank you for the opportunity blah, blah. and he was like that's not what I mean what I mean is I love that you are yourself which of course in a corporate world is, is a reductive mm-hmm. euphemism by the way right and he said straight up like I love that you are yourself but I want you to know that that is going to be a decision that may or may not impact your upward trajectory here and I looked at him and I thought, I'm twenty five. I literally just sat in Salar Kumangar's like CEO meeting, which I did not report into CEO, by the way, right? a long shot. <laughs> uh, I literally brought in a third of the revenue in this company, right? Whereas like people twice my age with Harvard business school degrees did not. And I don't know why I should care that being who I am with these results should matter. And, and I just, I just, I made a decision that night of like, okay, am I gonna you know, start wearing collar button-up shirts and speak in certain elevated diction, all of which I'm very capable of doing, or am I just gonna be free? Um, and I decided I was gonna be free. And, and I know not all of us have that luxury, but I decided there, it's like, I'm not at YouTube to build someone else's dream, I'm at YouTube to train myself to become the next Walt Disney, which I know I can be one day.
0: I often think about how many people aren't brave enough to take that decision, you know, when they are being asked with the, or or when the questions in their face of, you know, you've gotten here, what got you here isn't what's going to get you ahead. That's often what we hear. And you've got to assimilate, you've got to learn the language, you've got to fit in. And most of us figure out that that's the way to progress. And that's what we take on. So I think it's really cool and interesting that you made a different decision. And I think that, um, you know, to your point, I don't think that it even requires you to have shown those results to be given that opportunity. I feel really strongly about people should really work in environments where they feel like they can be their very best, regardless of whether business performance is allowing them to do so or not. Because that's really where the magic happens when you are being yourself, and you are in the flow, um, and you are not inhibited in, in any way that you can really show up in your best possible self.
1: I think so too. I mean, there's also a practicality to being this way and free. And so the reality is like anything new is going to push one polarity to the middle, right? And then we end up invariably in some hybridized version in the center that is better from where we started. So I think there's just this practicality of like, if you want to be well-liked, don't do anything new. You know, the second piece, though, is like, well, who has the courage to do that? Because a lot of us don't want to piss people off. And but as I got into my 20s, I realized, like, a, that's impossible. And so I started to transition to a point now pretty where honestly, I struggle day to day of like, am I still as comfortable as I used to be pissing people off in the name of what's right, good and forward moving? And it's hard because like. On the one side, you don't want to hurt people's feelings, but on the other side, you want to care about impact. I used to what I call gladface. So in Hollywood especially, there's all sorts of bullshitters who are bad people. They're everywhere, right? And so glad facing is when you look at someone, you smile and say, I'm so glad to see you, but you're really not, you hate their guts, you can't stand them, right? <laughs> and I used to do this, like everyone in Hollywood does this. And I stopped doing this like five or seven years ago because I felt so insincere, because I don't like bad people. And I also realized I don't know everyone in the world, but I know a lot of people who will pick up my calls and say yes when I ask. And it's not because I'm egotistical, it's not because I have some form of power, it's because I try really hard, I'm really thoughtful, and I deliver. And, and, I, and I'm well-intentioned. I know enough people I have a singular vision and I have enough of a stacked resume to have earned the right to work with who I want, when I want.
0: How do you work with the creators that despite all the adversity that they may face or despite all the pressures they may feel to not be themselves or to not be authentic, they still need that support from you and and the, the, the nonprofit that you run really to fund the work for these creators? How do you help them on this journey?
1: This is a marathon, not a sprint, right? There are enough people who are only famous for one single or 15 seconds, but the real talent that endures is the one that most matters. Walt Disney, Oprah, Meryl Streep, Steve mm-hmm. Jobs, so forth and so on, right? And so the message here is the only way that you can actually have longevity is if you are truly singular. So you are truly unique under yourself, which means you have to be only yourself. And so mm-hmm. one of the, one of my greatest, mis- or one of my, um, most I think important or early messages to creatives is like never compare yourself to a single other entity. You are not here to be the Asian Captain America or the, you know, first female astronaut in blank. Like you're not here to do any of that. You are here to realize your own name. That is the reward for life. You're here to be Oprah before she after she was Oprah. Right, as Oprah, right? Um, And the only way, and that is the only way that you can be best in your field is by being the only, not by being better than others. So finding that singular talent of why you are here, which once again goes back to freeing yourself, is the only way you ensure greater longevity because you stand out in the market and it's what you're really committed to because it's yourself, right? The second piece is every talent is gonna piss people off. There's trolls on trolls on trolls. The reality is, if any public figure, once again, you do anything new, you will get 50% of haters. Real artistry is about creating something new. And so be prepared to piss people off. But once again, if you are doing the right thing with good intentions and you are as thoughtful as inclusive as possible, you cannot apologize.
0: Pivoting a little bit, can you talk a little bit about Goldhouse's work in this arena and how are you building these communities through Goldhouse and OM?
1: So Goldhouse is the largest collective of API cultural leaders by far in the country. And the whole goal is to put the largest diaspora in the world, four and a half billion people, in a position to usher in the next great wave of socioeconomic growth. Um, because the reality is Asian American and Pacific Islanders in this country in particular, still wield the soft power of the West, which we maintain. But as you know very well, Most multinational growth for US-based companies is actually coming from the East, which I have a deep appreciation for personally and professionally having grown up there at YouTube. And so who is gonna bridge the Pacific, which let's be real, is where a disproportionate majority of growth is coming from in the next 50 years plus. It is, I think, us. And so this is not about, you know, for Asians, by Asians, not about the Asian mafia only helping ourselves, none of that. This is about how do we put ourselves in a position to help everybody? Um, and so to that end, we have nine different ventures across three different pillars. One is, how do we engender stronger mutual support, because Asians historically don't support Asians? Uh, and then, how do we be that singular cultural voice to bridge Asians with all of their multicultural communities so we can rise together? Uh, the second is socio, and then third is economic. So on the socio side is, how do we reshape public opinion about the API diaspora, a key key component was when Hollywood looks back at the last three years and realizes there was a surge of API content, whether it's in film or otherwise, there is no objective question that Goldhouse is half the reason. And the reason why is because there are already great API creatives, right, great films and so forth, but there was no market that was proven in the traditional industry. I guarantee you film chiefs did not know that there was a market for API stories because we were on the front line and we now work with every single one of them. There was a market for API stories, both within and outside the community. And we've done this objectively by breaking history for Crazy Rich Asians, for parasites, so forth and so on. Uh, and then the final piece is economic. Uh, we know that the only way to sustain influence is by having more C-suite executives and board directors. Um, there are, of course, two paths here. You can rise in an existing corporation, which is great, and we have many of those and we celebrate them, but the reality is that it takes too long. And so instead, mm-hmm. we think about instead of taking someone's house, how do you build your own house where you are your C suite and you control your board? And really encouragingly, to, um, Goldhouse's own study realized that over 20% of the companies worth over $500 million founded in the last decade have at least one Asian American or Pacific Islander in the United States founder. That's and so amazing. It's amazing. It's so high 5.6% is punching above our weight by 4x. And so my philosophy always is let's focus on where we're strong and then go elsewhere, right? And so to that and we have the largest founder network, the top API founder accelerator, and what will soon become the next nine months, the largest angel investor network to round it out. So I think the important sort of philosophy here that is translatable to other communities is, the API community had no reason to convene. And yet we had this amazing imperative to it because we saw what the Israeli and the African diasporas have successfully manufactured over centuries, despite greater persecution. And we know that for mass benefit and mass growth, your community or your home has to start off strong first. Asians, as you know, are the most diverse race. We are 50 ethnicities, mm-hmm. hundreds of dialects, You know, stretched to every end of the earth. And so the first le- lesson was, what is our North Star that's gonna unite us? The second piece is, How can you make sure that you're not building selfishly, but instead abundantly? And this just gets back to a principle of wonder. You are here, not for yourself. The greatest power is not making you rich, famous, and number one on Forbes list, et cetera. The greatest power is giving everything away. And when you leave, that everyone else is better off than you were before, that is power. And so this is a question of, this is not a cause bigger than us. This is a cause for all of us. The third piece was then executionally, how do we actually do this at a practical level? And so my sense is that the way you build cultural prominence for anybody is through this principle known as carrots and sticks. The idea is you need at once these parallel paths of carrots, these abundance-building socioeconomic investments. So more prominent media portrayals that are accurate. that that change how people are uh, treated and behave uh, in society. Second is actual actual economic injections, both in the educational system for training as well as the professional employment side. And then also you need sticks on the other side of the aisle because sometimes the carrots fall short. So you also need punitive and corrective measures when those fall short. These are safety, um, sometimes they can be law enforcement, the judicial system, so forth and so on. And once again, you need both sides to play together in order for any culture to be balanced. So those are the couple of uh, the principles that we got to and then you know the final thing i think is most important that i think is a through line through this pretty is it's not even being brave, it's being comfortable with being unpopular. This is an imperative thing. of We're gonna build the thing that we needed so that our children do not look to us and said, why was this not here for me? And so, anyway, so I think that's the final thing, is like, you know, there is no question in the early days, there are a handful of people that would look at this, like, annoying 30-year-old, like, kind of screaming at them for why they weren't, you know, sending the elevator down. Um, but, you know, we've come to a point where I I do not care about pissing people off, again, if it's in the name of what's right, good and thoughtful and inclusive. Mm-hmm. And, and that is how we approach things.
0: One of the things that I've heard you say about Goldhouse that I want to ask you about is I heard you say, I want Goldhouse to be obsolete one day. You rarely come across a co-founder that's talking about making the company obsolete. Obviously, you said more than that, which I would love for you to elaborate for our listeners. But what were you really intending uh, to do when you when you said that? What is your long term vision and dream for
1: So I do mean that. Um, It comes from when the best leaders, when she or he leaves the company, still runs just as well and ideally better. Because they have empowered their team so well and built in scalable systems that will outlive them. And so I look at this the same way. We need to empower, first and foremost, these four and a half billion people to serve and lead the world. And then secondly, empower all people to mutually support each other. That's my whole goal of Gold House. We just want everyone to not just get along better, but produce greater miracles together. And the more we can do that, I mean, the the better off all of society will be. Like that's how we will find a cure to cancer. That is how the iPod was invented, through hybridization of two ostensibly disparate sensibilities. In our case, our sensibilities are just people. Now, realistically, Preeti, you and I both know, is this going to happen anytime soon? Obviously not. Like, I, I'm in phase one trying to reverse 3,000 years of history of, of not supporting each other. So this is going to be a while. But is our ambition to absolutely get rid of Goldhouse one day? Absolutely.
0: And the way I, I heard it too also was that you want um, these communities to become so part of mainstream and such a big part of economic driver, business driver growth uh, areas that it does not need any special catering or any special focus. It's that embedded in mainstream, which I know we're far from right now. But that's also what I heard when I was listening to your talk about that. And, you know, speaking about the communities, it obviously bears mentioning that the recent violence that we've seen with the Asian American Pacific Islander community, especially in the U.S., and the rate it's grown at in the last one year, it's been a really painful time. Um, you know, internally, we've talked we talked to our colleagues uh, who are going through a lot of pain and trauma and dealing with these events. What are you seeing in your world right now among the creator community? Yeah,
1: I'm seeing two things. One is I'm seeing an immense amount of historic People Mm -hmm. are fired up, and they're not fired up in a way that's frivolous anger. Their form of anger is productive. And so people are driving, you know, great fundraisers to reduce the financial duress that victims have been incurred. Um, we're looking at emotional sort of support from different mental health therapists, um, uh, like justice organizations, you know, from ILDEF to you know the Asian Americans Advancing Justice Federation, so forth and so on. So just a lot of really incredible action from across the API community. I think the second thing I'm seeing is hesitation, not because people are afraid. Like a lot of our elders talk about, like, oh, we've been invisible, we've been silent. And it's like, actually, you were silent. None of us below the age of 50 have been. So <laughs> I, I think I think yeah. the hesitation is not that of our elders. The hesitation is I want to be thoughtful and actionable and sustainable. And so a lot of us creators are trying to see, I don't want to post a black, or a black gold square. I don't want to you know just donate to their blank check. I want to do something that's sincere, that is sustainable in my own career. And so something we've now been working with, we've at this point in the last month talked to 150 corporations uh, who all have the right idea of how do we do something that's endemic to us, but then also committed to the community. I cannot help but wonder, it's not only how stressful, on top of getting your history stolen from you because you were stolen from your home, right? Like, what that does to a community, but also how much of our responsibility it is to not only save ourselves, but save each other in this. And that's the next question that we're trying to figure out at a practical level. How do we, whether it's through policy, education, or otherwise, how do we support each other there? The only way you're going to figure out how to cope with this and action against it is just to pronounce it, is to scream it, is to write like like jumbled poetry, is to like go to these rallies that are not the best organized things. Because like as the old adage goes, and it's true if you go to therapy, is like the only way to get over something is to go through it. This is part of the process. And so, you know, for a community that just has not, thankfully, but now unfortunately had this opportunity, You know, so many of us are burning ourselves to set ourselves on fire. And this is a good thing.
0: One thing that I wanted to ask you is you've built a career out of creating things that didn't really exist before. And you have the skill of being able to convince people to get on board, to support you. So I wanna know what's the secret to your persuasion? And if someone had a vision just like yours, what advice would you give them?
1: I think the first thing is finding your gift. Not all of us are good at inventing new things. So it's finding why you're here first and owning that. The second piece is having a singular unique vision in your gift. So, mine is like from a stories and systems perspective, how we enable anyone to realize their ambitions faster and more deeply. Figure out what your vision is very, very quickly. And if what you are doing right now does not align with that, you'd better have a really good practical reason why you were in that job. Third is knowing what objective but also subjective success is. And this duality is so critical. So, like with all my companies, we always, and every single venture execution, they always have to articulate this duality of what is numeric success and what is quality qualitative emotional success look like. The other part about sort of building anything new, especially something as fluid as movements or collectives is you need to announce victory early. Uh, A lot of us have been around the bends. You've seen a lot and everyone's gone through the motions of fancy names, a lot of money, razzle dazzle, press release, and then it just falls flat in six months. And so Mm -hmm. being able to declare victory early and and mean it sincerely is really, really important. Um, The next skill, and and I I really like learned this from being a third culture kid and, and the incredible learning experience that was YouTube, is how do you bring people together and unify them against a the North Star, which is a long way of saying, how do you find out what people really want and force the concentricity? Because we are all more similar than we are different. It's just a matter of, once again, finding the helpers, finding the fighters, and finding the light that sort of binds us. And the faster you can figure out how that central light also illuminates what people individually and perhaps selfishly want, the faster you'll be able to rally them. Um, And then I think the final thing is once again, it goes back to that, it's not even bravery, it's just like being very comfortable with pissing people off in the name of what's right, good and thoughtful and inclusive um, and being relentless with it. Um, One of the best piece of advice I got from the former chairman of Disney, who's one of my close mentors since I was a teenager, was um, the world, if you look at like history, really does not belong to those who had vision or those who are famous or powerful, it belonged to those who do not stop. And the reality is like persistence and not giving up and manufacturing Mm -hmm. success until it is success is the best way to get to the promised land for each of us.
0: Bing, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed this conversation. I really appreciate your time and your words and your wisdom. And I hope to keep learning about all the fascinating, amazing things you're doing for this community.
1: No, such a privilege to be with y'all. Thank you for having me on here. And uh, especially as a Spotify premium user, long-term Spotify premium user, uh, this Woo! was a great privilege
0: for me. <laughs>